0: Okay, everybody, Parsha Stitzave. Uh, I know we have Purim coming up, and I know it's Parsha Zachar, we will mention Parsha Zachar at the end, but we do have a Parsha to learn, right? Definitely one of the uh, uh, more fascinating Parsha in Sefer Shmos, simply because it talks almost entirely about uh, the Big Diguna, except for exception at the end, it talks about the Mizbacha Zahav. Uh, which is ironically here instead of in Truma right, with all the other Kalim. Okay, we're not going to talk about exactly why that is, but definitely something to look into uh, if you're curious. But just again, very, very quickly, a quick recap of the parsha. I got Baruch tell, commands Bnei Israel to take oil for the menorah, and then we dive immediately into the big day kahuna, the ephod, the choshen, right, the, the me'il, the tzitz, right, all the other stuff, regular kohanim's clothing, uh, we, we dive straight into that, we have a lengthy discussion about how to inaugurate the kohanim uh, with korbanos, etc., uh, when the Mishkan will be built. Uh, and then, we, as I said, we end off with uh, the Mizbach Hazav, right? the Mizbach that they used uh, to burn the Ketorah. And then, obviously, this week's Parsha is Parsha Zachar, but that's not really so relevant to the Parsha. Hard to go without mentioning Parsha Zachar, so we'll do that at the end. But first, Parsha's Tetzave. So what's... A couple of vortlach on Parsha's Tetzave? again, underratedly pretty powerful stuff, as I didn't mention last week, because we didn't do a Shiran Uh but the Mishkan, in general uh has some fascinating imagery and if it's well again i feel like very often these partials get uh shortchanged because it's a lot of technical stuff and it's quote-unquote boring um and plus you're in the middle of you know purim season so like you know i feel like these part don't get the, the love they deserve except for kisisa which obviously you have the eagle so people right obviously talk about that a lot but uh, there's so much beautiful imagery in, in, the, in, the, in the Mishkan that I very, very much encourage you to kind of dive into it and see what uh, what you can find. But let's mention a couple of things, uh, Shaykh specifically to the Parsha. Uh, first of all, the Medrash, the beginning of this week's Parsha. There's a beautiful Medrash at the beginning of the Parsha. The Torah says, that obviously, at the beginning of the Parsha, V'atat tzaves b'nei Yisrael, Moshe, you command b'nei Yisrael. By the way, this is the only Parsha after Moshe's birth that does not mention Moshe. Uh, by name, or that he's not talking, right? right. Obviously, all the and Moshe is talking. Uh, so there's a whole discussion about why that is true. I will mention that at the end. But Hashem tells Moshe, please command Yisrael. Please take for yourselves some olive oil, right? That is uh, that is crushed, right? In order that you can light. Uh, the Menorah. And the Medrash and Pazigin Yirmiyo says the Perakid Aleph says that Zayit Ranan Yefapri Towar Kar Hashem Shmeich. The Koshir Baruch who called Bnei Yisrael Zayit Ranan. They called Bnei Yisrael right, a beautiful, uh, a beautiful olive Yefapri right, a beautiful fruit. Bnei Yisrael are compared uh, to an olive, and why is that? Says the Medrash, because if you mix any two drinks together, right, any drinks in the world, any liquids, right, they will blend together. And there is no way to distinguish one liquid uh, from the next. Okay, obviously, you get a bartender who really knows his stuff. Okay, fine. But all the liquids in the world, you mix orange juice and water. You mix uh, milk and uh, coffee. I don't know, whatever. Any drink, any liquid, you mix them together, they're going to create some sort of uh, potion. But oil with any other liquid, that always ends up with the oil at the top. That always ends up with the olive oil at the top, and as such, bnei Israel are compared to olives. Right when they're doing bnei Israel's will right says the medrash, then they rise to the top. Right, no matter what nation they get mixed up with, right during their long exile. Right, if they're doing what the like who wants, it, then they always rise to the top. asks Rav Sinai Adler, who is a rav in, uh, in Mivaseret, who is a rav of the Israeli Kol over there, uh, famed Holocaust survivor, you who know, was there a couple of years ago. So in his sefer for Sinai, he asks a great question. He says. The Seder, wonderful. Oil rises to the top, right, of any drink, and okay, very nice, B'nai Yisrael compared to olives and whatever it is, very fantastic. The problem is, Bene Yisrael are not compared to olive oil, right, Israel are compared to olives, right, you ever put an olive in a drink, I don't know about all liquids, but uh, you ever see the old James Bond movies, right, martinis have olives in them, they are not floating on the top, the olives sink to the bottom. Right, so the medrash right, was not exactly accurate when it says you mix the doing Right, they always rise to the top. The are compared to an olive, a zayutran, not uh, zaych Shemin, Rahnan in the puzzle. So what's the deal with that measure? So Rav Adler says, Rav Adler says, he answers based on his own uh, life experiences, no doubt, uh, and he explains that just like an olive is ground up and crushed to create olive oil, so too, unfortunately, B'nai Israel are crushed and ground up through their gullus, and only then does the olive oil come out, uh, and in a chanami, B'nai Israel come, on t- come out on top, but only after they get oppressed and the- afflicted and subjugated uh, by the going. But I thought, perhaps, Right, that we can answer a little differently based on uh, the end of the Medrash. Right again, notice again, remember what the Medrash said. It does not say that the Jews always rise to the top. Right, it's the Medrash made a, made a caveat. Right, it said that only would B'nai Israel do Hashem's Ratzon. Right, and keep the Torah, then they rise to the top whenever whatever nation right they're involved with and maybe that's exactly the point that if b'nei Israel are doing hashem's will right then they're compared to the finest product of the olive the ultimate product of the olive is its oil right, which rises above any other you know comparable substance but if the jews are keeping B'nai, you know the torah in midst of any other culture so then they'll rise to the top but if they're not chas shalom so then they're compared to the olive itself right which is untapped potential if you will and that will sink whenever mixed uh, into any drink, implying that Rachma If we don't, you know, kind of keep the Torah, as it then, but Israel end up sinking to whatever uh, to the bottom of whatever culture they're with. And certainly, certainly, unfortunately, right nowadays, uh, it has uh, relevance. Uh, it seems like an everlasting gullus, right? Even in Eretz Yisrael nowadays, right? Unfortunately, uh, we have, uh, you know, the Goethe cultures that are all around us, right? And and very often we are not, myself included, we are not necessarily keeping the Torah uh, as we should, right? And, and as the Kosh Baruch promises us that Eretz Yisrael, we will get, the zchus of getting Eretz Yisrael is through keeping the Torah, right? If you keep the Torah, right, so great. If you don't, right, if you contaminate the land, the land will spit you out, so, mitzvishem, we, uh, we should realize that that's the reason why we have these tzatzlachas. And certainly when it's driven home by terrorism and all that type of stuff, Right again. try. These are reminders for us to remember why we're Zoha derej Yisrael uh, and why we're Zohar, uh, to survive and thrive. in Godless, right? It's only through the Torah. It's not because right. We figured out some magic, you know, way to to assimilate into cultures. And you know, if we become uh, American, Russian, German, Bulgarian, whatever it is, they're gonna accept us. No, it's exactly the opposite. Uh, that whenever we kind of like feel, feel ourselves sliding into the cultures, that's when Akash Baruchu unfortunately pushes. Uh, pushes the issue. Okay, what was the purpose of the Big Day Kahuna? Right? Again, the whole entire Parsha, not the entire Parsha, but much of the Parsha talks about the Big Day Kahuna. What was the purpose of the Big Day Kahuna? So, and as the Raman points out and right in Hill's clay McDush, there are a lot of halachos. I'm not sure if you know, a lot of halachos with the Big Day Kahuna. It had to fit, and right? they couldn't be worn, they couldn't be dirty. Worn isn't like, worn out. It right? couldn't be dirty, but right? you had to do a while wearing the Big Day Kahuna. The question is, what's the point? Right? What was the point? So, as you might imagine, the purpose of clothing, right, has twofold, is more or less twofold. First of all, right, the Hamech right, the Nitzv, writes that Bnei should see the Kohen gadol and also the Kohanim and realize that they are elevated, right? They, they realize that they are elevated above Kalei Yisrael, that a Baruch chose the Kohanim, right, then Bechorim had their choice, Right, the B'choros, B'choros. Right, they had their choice. Right? The firstborn had their choice, their chance, and they, they blew it. By the egal hazav, Akash baruch who lifted up Shavit Levi, right, and specifically Aaron's children, the Kohanim. So there, they should see that they are an elevated state, that these are extra holy people, and they're doing the holy avodah in and the Ramban, along the same veins, right? That uh, fascinating, but uh, that that a the Ramban writes modeled the big day after what was royally fashionable at the time. Right, that these people should look like princes, they should look like kings, right? that you should have a certain impact on the viewer, I meaning that the big daguna are for the people looking at them, and they should be affected, right? If you go to the Bessal there and people walk around in flip-flops and board shorts, so obviously it would not create the same vibe as if you walked around and saw people wearing, you know, trelas Argama, all these beautiful uh, bigotas. So that's that's first of all that that the clothing affects people who are looking at the wearer right? and therefore the quantum had to have special clothing that would show them in a regal state because again they're going to come to Basin not can you imagine you come to they're offer you a korban, and the dude's chilling there with, uh, I don't know, a hookah and some sunglasses. Obviously, it's not uh, not appropriate. So, we had to have proper clothing so that the the vibe and the ambiance and the proper respect would be had, would be shown right from the people who are viewing them. The Chinuch, interestingly enough, emits a tzaddik test uh, points out that the opposite is also true. And this is the other possibility is that man is affected by what they wear, right? People are affected by the clothing that that are on them, right? And you needed therefore specific clothing for the temple service, for the Avodam right? To make, the, not for the people necessarily, but for the kohanim, for the kohanim to focus and realize, you know, dalif Omed, realize in front of who you're standing, where you're standing. Um, and, uh, and so they could be, for themselves, to do the avodah, to shaft the Corbanos, to do all the other types of things they had to do, right, with the proper rosh with the proper sense of respect. And the muster for us is that we have to be aware of both of these things in terms of what our clothes do, meaning often we don't really think about clothes in this way. Right? we think about style fashion what are people gonna say about us maybe we're trying to impress certain people right certainly when we're teens or, or early 20s we're definitely trying to impress other people with our clothing but we don't think about the actions that come about as a result of our clothes right we don't again we we, we have certain sensibilities right we realize that we don't wear a bathing suit to a wedding right okay right that that makes sense uh, and you know we wear, wear a tuxedo to the beach but it's not because like right? usually we don't do that because we're gonna get laughed at but the real reason we probably shouldn't do that, and the real reason that uh, you know we should have some sort of respect uh, to for you know let's say a chasna or for davening or whatever it is, is because we act a certain way depending on how we are dressed. Right? We act, let's say, if you're dressed nicer, you act more refined. If you're dressed down, you act more relaxed. That has an impact on us. Uh, and that's and the impact of our clothing on us and also on other people, right, that also should be a driving factor in terms of how, how we dress. This is similar to a word on last week's Parsha, right, we didn't give a shear so I got to slip something in, right. Uh, last week we talked about build, building the Aron, so the Puzzle says right, that the Aron was made out of, which, which should be covered inside and out with gold. It uh, should be gold, wood, gold. That's how they, Taklas Rashi explains that They made made the, Oh do they had three boxes. They had, they had a golden box. They put it inside the wood, and then a little, like, kind of like one of those babushka dolls, right? The one a little bit smaller, a little bit smaller, a little bit smaller. So they had gold, wood, and then gold. And the Gemara and Yuma, in right? out the Pesukum over there. I mean, byis, to panu, from inside and out, has to be like gold. <clears throat> so Rubba says, Kol that anybody, any in in that anybody, any Gemara who's inside is not like he's outside, uh, is is not a Talmud right? And the Gemara and Brachos and the Ches, right? Gamliel said that as well, right? That he didn't want to let anybody, even a Talmid, into the base leadership. He wasn't talking Borrow, fine. So I thought for many years, many many years, until like last week, that that meant don't be fake. Talmud can't be fake, right? Inside's it got to be like he's outside, right? Don't be fake. Says Rav Victor Miller, that's not what it says. Read it again. It says it doesn't say borrow ketocha. It doesn't say that a Tom Harkham needs to have his outside matches inside. Like, can you imagine if our outside matched our inside? Right. We, if we always said whatever we thought, if our outsides matched our insides, that would be a disaster. Right. No, it's your inside has to match your outside. In the sense that sometimes, and a person, a person has to fake it because our outsides, right, have an impact on how we think and how we act. Right. Sometimes, you know, you're not in the mood to learn or to learn hard or to daven with Kavana or be so besimcha, your friend simcha, if you're in a bad mood or whatever. But if you fake it, right, you give a fake smile, right, you go, you go to davening and try and go through the motions. What you do on the outside has a shpah, has an influence on your insides. So Tamachachim says Rava has to know what to put on a show. Right, went to fake whatever he's involved in. He's got to fake a learning. If he's not in the mood, he got up, he has a headache, whatever. He's got to fake, he's got to put a fake smile on a chasana, a simcha, whatever. To dr- and that will drag his insides along for the ride and get his insides to change. Right, Like the Mesilla Sherm says right, that, uh, in Perixion, right, that the outside drags along the inside. So clothing is a part of that. Right, It's not only the fake smile. Or, you know, the way you carry yourself and what you talk about, right? It's the way you dress has a real impact on how you feel, how you think, how you act, right? If a, if, a, if you're dressed not so you're going to think you're not If you dress formal, you're going to think formal, right? What do you wear to davening, right? Showing up in flip-flops and Adidas track pants. Right creates a different davening than if you show up in dress, shoes, and slacks, right? That's the clothing. It said the clothing makes the man. Well, I don't know if the clothing makes the man, but it, the clothing makes the person wearing the clothing think and act differently. And that's part of the whole, the whole word of the Aron. right? And it's something that we have to think about when we put on clothes, not only because they're fashionable and what other people will think about us, but how the clothes will lead us uh, to act. Okay. Uh, let's talk about one of the, uh, one of the, the actual big day kahunas specifically, uh, just because, you know, might as well get, uh, you know, get a vort on the actual clothing and then we'll, we'll jump to Parsha Zohar. Right? The, there's an interesting description, this description rather, uh, of the ephod. Right? The ephod was, uh, the, the robe i guess not really the robe i don't know how you, how you translate uh, the aphone well, whatever uh, part of the uh, whole uh, Koen Gadol's ensemble over there uh, including the hoshan etc the meal whatever so the effort was probably you know that's just to, to illustrate it was it was like a had like straps uh, and then like a, a wraparound kind of thing on the bottom but you attach the the, the hoshen okay so basically the bottom of the a had these alternating bells and pomegranates on it uh, pamon verimon, pamon verimon, uh, and again similar. If you you need an, a modern day equivalent, you can see it like a talus. If you ever see a talus, like one one side of the talus is kind of like twisted in these like kind of cute little, I don't know, bell slash pomegranate type things. So again, that that it had, on the bottom of the afoad was the bells and pomegranates. So it points out Rav Melech or Melech Biederman says the pasuk says interestingly. Right, again, that you had the the order was bell pomegranate, bell pomegranate, right? The alternating bells. And pomegranates. Obviously, it wasn't an actual pomegranate, just to be clear. It was the cloth, or the threads were tied into a pomegranate, kind of like the talus. And then you had actual bells, right? That little kind of ding ding so that people would hear, right, when the coin gado uh, was coming. So, pa- Rav Melech points out the very fascinating Lashon, right, in the Pazik. Pazik says, Pamoni Zahav Saviv, that you had these golden pamoni and the golden bells. In between them, saviv, and it says also in Parshav, that's in our parsha. Parsha pukudei also, when they made the big Digun, it says Right outside of the me'il, right again uh, on the fringes of the me'il, right um, you put the pahmonim beso harimonim. Right? And it means between the rimonim, but what's besoch? Well, what's betocham and besoch also can mean in, inside. Like, it's obviously wasn't inside. Right? It's a very strange way to phrase it. It should have said bane, right, between the rimonim, right? Alternating or some other phrase. What's besocham? What do you mean inside? So the quotes the Alshech. Alshech has an unbelievable shot. He says that the bell and pomegranate represent speech and silence. Right? Bells obviously make noise. Obviously they have a clapper inside, right? So he says that that's comparable to a mouth with a tongue. Right? A bell is, if you can imagine. A bell, right? You've been to the Liberty Bell probably. Right? It has a has a clapper inside, that thing that makes noise, it swings back and forth. So that's the tongue, right? And the mouth is like it's like an open mouth with a tongue inside. Pomegranates obviously are filled, they don't they don't make noise, right? As opposed to the hollow bell, right? They don't they don't make noise. So the Torah is coming to hint that the pomon should be inside the pomegranate, that the bell should be inside the remon. Right? Meaning the speech should be inside silence. I mean, the silence should be the majority. Silence should be the overarching entity. And, and it should, the silence should be more than speech. I mean, again, Similarly, Ramelech points out that a person is given one mouth and two eyes to say that he should only say half of what he sees. Right, he should only say. Person should should not say everything, uh, comment on everything he sees. He should speak about only half of what he sees. Right, which basically means in Aramaic right, that uh, a word with a coin, right, in silence, so worth two. But right, long story short, um, that uh, it's better to be silent, um, and therefore it would make sense that the me'il. Right, it makes sense. that the me'il, the robe. Right, did I say the ephod? No, it was at the the pomegranates or at the, the me'il. So the, the me'il is which what you had the bells and whistles. Right? The bell, the bells and pomegranates. Rather, right? That is says the Gemara in Erechim, is mechaper falashon hara. Is mechaper hara. Now we we have to realize that again. Just nowadays um, we talk so much, and if we're not talking, we're texting, and that counts. By the way, we're communicating so much. Right? And and the, just the concept of silence. Right? Silence is so awkward nowadays, with all the music and noise and TV and radio and, and uh, podcasts and uh, streaming music. And all. If there's no nothing going on, if there's no noise, there's no talking. Right? It, people get awkward and I mean like if they're not all clued on on their phones obviously nowadays the mo- most human interaction everybody just sitting on a bus watching their phones or whatever but I mean like if there's nothing else going on if there are two people hanging out and there's silence it gets awkward silence is not awkward silence is is valuable silence is better than talking you don't need to fill the air or with idle chatter as they call it, as they translate in the art school but you don't need to just talk for the sake of talking Right? Talk for for good reasons, but just talk for don't talk for the sake of talking is silly. I and mean, that's one one of the the what the, the Torah is trying to get at that the pa'mon should be beso harimon that the pa'mon should be inside of the the loud one the noise should be inside of the silence that the silence should be more. Uh, and Ramielik points out that you see this elsewhere in the parsha as well. This whole idea that speech is has to is has to be measured is is important is valuable and has to be thought about. And he says. Because, again, as, you, as we pointed out, Moshe's name doesn't appear anywhere in the Parsha. The Baal right, famously writes that this is because Moshe said, no that By the Cheta Eagle, Moshe was trying to argue for B'nai Yisrael to uh, be spared. And Moshe, one of the things Moshe said to Hashem was, If you destroy the Jews, then erase me right, from uh, this book that you wrote. Right again, it's a pesher. So, so obviously that didn't happen. But the Gemara Mako says, the Gemara Mako Stafid Aleph says that Ba That if a curse of a Talmachacham or the curse of a tzaddik, even if it's unconditioned, right? I'm cursing you on condition that uh, you know if you. If you don't give me a hundred bucks, I'm cursing you. Uh, if the guy gives him a hundred bucks, he wouldn't expect the curse to come through. But it says the Gemara that the curse is going to come true even if the Tanai is not fulfilled. So same thing over here. Moshe said, if you destroy the Jews, erase me from the Torah. Well, Hashem obviously didn't destroy the Jews, so he probably shouldn't erase him from the Torah. But it was still miskayim. It's still... Happened in a certain way, right? How did it manifest itself? It manifested by the fact that Moshe is not found in Parshat Tetzaveh So the Shachon Torah explains that this is the hidden meaning of Atat Tetzaveh B'nei Yisrael. You, Moshe, Tetzaveh B'nei Yisrael, go command B'nei Yisrael, says Ramelech, how much a person needs to be careful, careful with their speech? Because Moshe said that, he was arguing, right? But, but it came true, right? Things that we say Right? Have a power that we don't even realize. Obviously, we talked about lashon hara before. We don't need to elaborate so much. But realize the things that your words do. Realize that silence does not necessarily have to be awkward. Uh, it can be valuable. Uh, and don't just speak just for the sake of speaking, because inevitably that, leaves some t- that leads to some sort of lashon hara, etc., etc. Okay, let's uh, let's do something quickly on uh, on Parsha Zachar, because you know Parsha Zachar is, after all, uh, probably the only. Kriya d'araisa. The only thing you have to heard, here read from the Torah that uh, Me d'araisa right. All the other kriyas are not necessarily d'araisa. Maybe Parshas para, but okay. So so Parshas Zachar is 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 super important. And we've mentioned before. Right, what's the the whole idea of, of Parshas Zachar? What's the idea of destroying Amalek Says, baderech right? Remember what Amalek did to you on the path when you left Egypt. And again, we've mentioned this, but it's Kedaya to mention again, and then we'll say something a little bit further. There's an extra word in that Pesach. The says, Remember what Amalek did to you, Baderech, on the path, betzeh, uh, betzeh when you left Egypt. What is that word, Baderech? It could have just said, Remember what Amalek did to you when you left Egypt. What do you mean? What remember what Amalek did to you on the path when you left Egypt? So as because I'll explain, without getting into the, into long arichas over here. That bnei shov are on a derech. They're on a path. They were ready to go from the 49th level of Tummah to the highest level of Tummah They were leaving Egypt. They're going towards Ar Sinai, and Amalek stopped that. Uh, Sher Amalek tried to make that cold. He tried to stop the inspiration. He tried to stop the growth. And so nowadays, right, we have to remember that the manifestation of Amalek is not necessarily in people who are trying to kill us, although unfortunately, Rahman we have many of those, but it's in our own personal fight with you know the Zahara, etc., etc., all those forces that are trying to keep us uh, from growing. And on all those lines, Ramelech explains what's the next positive. The next positive says, And Amalek killed all the weak who were struggling at the back who were straggling at the back of Benstro and Rashi explains who were these weak people they were lacking in strength because of their sins fascinating right those who were affected by their sins they were downtrodden they were feeling badly they're unable to to get back up right? and, and that was what a Malik did they prayed on the rear right it, it attacks those who are down, those who are already kicked down, those who are already fallen, and it keeps them there. Right? That's what we have to destroy. That's why Machotim Amalik to destroy this voice that says you can't get up from this. That there is no hope. Right? That's what we have to destroy when we're trying to destroy Amalik. This 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 concept that you're not able to bounce back right from failure. And Ruf Malik says that's a shot in the Gamar miguel and Dafir Right, The Puzzling says fascinating Dick that I never noticed. Now the, I, no, I read the Gemara, but the deal within the Gemara is fascinating. Paul uh, says, "Lasot that, uh, that uh, what's it called? Um, that did ish uh, That he did like the, the will of each man. And the Gemara Darshan is that that's Mordechai and Haman. That Mordechai and Haman were trying to right, do different things with the suda. Right? Mordechai was trying to get the Jews to to save. Uh, Jews to to keep kosher, it's all the halakhas, etc., and, and Haman the opposite. So ish va ish. Anyway, long story short, that's the context. But the words ish va ish apply to Mordechai and Haman. How do you know? Because Mordechai is called ish yud, and Haman is called ish tsar So Rav Melech says, how do you know it's Mordechai and Haman? That it's ish va ish. That's Mordechai and Haman. Maybe it's Haman and Mordechai. What, why do you, why does Gemara say it's ish va ish? That man and man. Is Mordechai and Haman? It, should, it could be the other way around as well. So Rav says, no, maybe it, Haman has to be Veish. Haman has to be the second one. Why? Not because he got he got killed or he fell, but because if you rearrange the letters of Veish, you get to the word Yeish. Yud Aleph Vav Shin, right? That's Yeish. Vav Aleph Yud Shin, that's Veish. You can get Yeish. That's to give up. And that means to give up, right? That's what Amalek is all about. It says Rav He quotes Rav Dan uh, Segal. Uh, a, I think he should live and be well. If I'm not mistaken, he's, uh, I think he's doing okay. I'm not sure. He, big, one of the big tzaddikim in mean, Eretz um I apologize. I'm not sure exactly where what uh, where he's holding. He should, if he if he's doing okay, he should continue to do okay. uh He explains that basically the positive says again it was, again the mishlei sheva yipol tzaddik vikam that uh, a tzaddik falls seven times and then gets back up. He says it doesn't say tzaddik yipol sheva v'kam. It doesn't say that a tzaddik falls seven times and get up. It says sheva yipol. Person falls seven times, tzaddik, right? That tzaddik they come and then get, gets back up. And he says that because before a person falls, they can't really be a tzaddik, because when a tzaddik is someone who overcomes, right? Someone, someone who overcomes that once they fall, they have an ability to rise and they rise greater, right? We know the Gemara says about Shiva can reach higher levels than regular tzaddikim. Okay, so once a person has fallen, then they can be a tzaddik. So that's sheva yipol. Tzaddik vikam, right? That a person falls seven times and then he, be, he can be a tzaddik, right? Because he bounces back up. A wanted to try and stop that, because they knew that that was right, What the key to to growth in yiddishkeit, and we and we all know, right? We go through the yeshiva and seminary year. It's not a smooth ride up to the top. It's a couple steps forward, a couple steps back, right? Back and forth, up and down, up and down, up and down, and eventually, right? We end up in a higher place. If a person would just fall once and be like, all right, that's it, I'm done. So they'd never, ever reach all those heights that they're able to reach. So that's the of to remember that you're on a journey, that you're on a derech, right? And there are pitfalls on the journey. Right, the classic cliched pitfalls, but it's true. Uh, two steps forward, three steps back, one step forward, right, etc. But don't give up. Right? No yeyush. A Amalek comes to bring out yeyush, to bring out, to say that you can't do this, you can't get back. Never lose hope. Never lose hope of overcoming. Uh, and the fact that we, the times that we fall are really just impetuses right, to get us to reach uh, to greater, greater heights. May we be zocha, to use this Shabbos and the and, and Helech of Purim right, to reach uh, the highest of the heights, um, and Bizochah to bring chef to Kenan right, to get us out of this gallus uh, Amen Kenan, Kenya